I don't know who said it, but it's a pretty good analogy. Families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. <laughs> I like that, don't you? But here's the rub. With fudge, you can pick out and discard the nuts if you don't like them. With families, you cannot. And of course, the bedrock of the home is marriage. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at some aspects of this relationship between husbands and wives. I read an article in Parade Magazine that highlighted dangers in most homes. In the opening paragraph, the author makes this observation. Any house, no matter how well cared for, can be dangerous. Household accidents cause at least 20,000 deaths every year. Poisoning and falls are the top two culprits. Now, most of us will do our best to make our houses as safe and healthy as possible. Wouldn't it be great if we were as careful to make our marriages as safe and healthy as possible? You see, relationships are not easy. In the words of one young lady breaking up with her boyfriend, she said, I will always cherish my initial misconception of you. <laughs> A lot of misconceptions out there in relationships. Marriage isn't easy, but that really shouldn't surprise us. Just think about how it all begins. By the end of the wedding ceremony, the bride is stuck with a guy called the groom, not the guy who's called the best man. <laughs> Marriages are up against a lot of challenges, a lot of obstacles. And I think it's harder today than it ever has been to work at keeping a marriage together. So let me just highlight some of the challenges that marriages face today. First of all, too much in our culture competes for our family time and focus. I watch today as families are pulled in a gazillion different directions all the time. There is no day of quiet any longer. Uh, when Elsie and I got married 39 years ago, we got married in Ferguson, Missouri. I was ministering there at the time. And in the church where we were serving, uh, we, we got married. But when we got married, Missouri still had the blue laws. Now, for those of you who have no idea what the blue laws are, that means nothing was open on Sunday. Everything was closed. Shopping malls, shopping plazas, stores. There were a few emergency places that were open, but everything else was closed. It was really a nice way of creating a day of quiet for you to rest, for you to worship, for you to spend time with family. That didn't last too many more years after we got married, and certainly I don't think any state has them today. Now every day can be filled to overflowing with every kind of activity imaginable. And kids' sports have come to dominate family weekends and travel. It's, it makes for tough choices. I sympathize with families today who want their kids to have these experiences, but then they have to spend so much and take so much time to travel. And oftentimes, they have to skip being a part of the body of Christ. And so attending church gets lost in the shuffle, and, it, and it, it's starting to teach our children that spiritual matters aren't nearly as important as other matters. It's, it's a tough challenge in, in a marriage and a home today for all that competes for our time. Secondly, everything electronic. I, I really like all the advancements in technology today, but I believe it has greatly hampered our ability to communicate in the family. Adults as well as youth are often glued to their phones or their tablets, reading email, tweets, texts, all manner of social media. Now, that, that isn't necessarily bad until it becomes such a dominating force. I mean, pull up to the side of a car at a stoplight, and you'll see a lot of people looking at their phone. Sometimes you pass somebody on a four-lane 
and, and you look over and they're reading their phone while they're driving. They've become obsessive parts of our life. Ironically, each month there are 40,500 Google searches for the question, why did I get married? And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Google is not the best place to be searching for marital advice. <laughs> Everything electronic has invaded our lives. Thirdly is the ease of divorce and the misunderstanding of the consequences of living together before marriage. It is generally stated that nearly 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and that it's about the same between Christians and non-Christians. That statistic is not accurate. Bradford Wilcox, a leading sociologist at the University of Virginia and director of the National Marriage Project, finds that those who are active in the church are 35% less likely to divorce compared to those families who have no church affiliation. Harvard-trained researcher Shanti Feldon conducted an eight-year study and determined that the national divorce rate for those who live out their Christian faith is only 15%. The point being that when you are a part of the body of Christ, it is, it is a protector. When your faith is strong, it is a preserver of your relationship as a husband and wife. Now, many younger couples today are living together before they get married to test their compatibility. And I think for most of them, they're wanting to make sure that they are right for each other so that their marriage will last. However, research indicates just the opposite is the result of living together. Studies in Sweden and Canada and the United States all indicate the same results. Living together lessens a couple's chances for a stable marriage. Professor Jay Teachman of Western Washington University notes that cohabitation increases the possibility of divorce by as much as 50%. His research indicates that living together first is one of the worst things that you can do for your marriage. Additional research indicates that cohabitation results in less commitment to the relationship, fosters unhealthy relationship skills, prevents true intergeneration and in integration of that person into a family. I mean, what do you do? My son or daughter is living with a, a, a person. They're not an in-law yet. How do I treat them? It, it really complicates the extended family cycle. Uh, it works against wealth accumulation. Uh, two people who are sort of holding on to their own because they have no commitment to each other yet do not accumulate as much as a couple working together. And it also breeds a spirit of sexual infidelity since without a marriage commitment, there is always this kind of a feel of, well, technically I'm still available. And, and, and so the immorality, the fidelity of that marriage potential marriage uh, is hampered. Perhaps more frighteningly than anything else, cohabiting women are almost five times more likely to suffer severe violence in the home as married women are. Five times more likely. Fourthly, and I think this is the greatest obstacle, and that is the growing lack of commitment to the very principle of marriage itself. It is far too easy to call it quits. Now, my generation, the baby boomers, have not always done a good job of, of presenting a good picture of what marital commitment means. Consequently, many a young, among the younger generations are referring to starter marriages or serial marriages with the idea that 
marriage will be different for them at different stages, and they will probably have more than one partner as they go throughout life. Some have stopped thinking of marriage as a lifelong commitment. Now, some of that may come from growing up in a broken home. Some of it may come from the idea that they don't believe that marriage is really all that fulfilling in their life to begin with. Now, there was a time when marriage was viewed as the relationship which provided legitimacy to both sexual expression as well as raising children. But marriage is no longer seen as the gatekeeper of either. But marriage is and always has been God's design for both. The commitment of marriage preserves the joy of intimacy between a man and a woman, provides a safe and stable environment for children, and is the only, the only God-ordained relationship for intimate sexual expression. Children who grow up under the godly care and oversight of both a father and a mother have a better chance of being mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthier. Obviously, there are exceptions to both. I know, I know people who grew up in a single-parent home who have, have absolutely flourished in life and done a great job. I've known others who grew up with a, a father and a mother, both of whom had been married all their life, and they, and they had struggles, and they rebelled, and they had all kinds of problems. It's not a guarantee. There are exceptions to the rules. I understand that. But in the broad sense of the term, the, the odds are better when a father and mother raise their kids, it gives them a healthier start in life, which is why staying together as a married couple is so important. The question then, I think, is this. Is there anything I can do to keep the marriage from falling apart? Yes, but you can't do it alone. No marriage can stay together if only one of the partners wants it to stay together. I don't care how badly you want it to stay together. If the other spouse is intent on leaving, there isn't much you can do. You see, it, it, it takes both husband and wife working together with God to make the family the best it can be. And it won't be perfect. You can't take two imperfect people and make a perfect marriage. You, you can't take two people and build a marriage in a falling, broken world that will be perfect. But it can be good. It can be good. And it begins with this whole concept of commitment. If we, could, if we could change this one challenge, this one obstacle, and renew our understanding of what commitment is, I think it would it'd go a long way in making our marriages better. So let me, let me just share with you a couple things about this whole idea of being committed. Be committed to God first. If you want a strong marriage, be committed to God first. You're probably familiar with Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, that pretty much sums it up well. Okay, put God first. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of things. But that's not the only place in the scripture where we find this principle related. Psalm 119.2. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. You want God's blessing? Seek him with all your heart. Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I got to ask myself the question. Do I long for God like a man dying of thirst? Sometimes I can't answer that question like I should. There are days that go by when I get sidetracked by so much that my longing for him is not what it should be. 
you got to put him first. He has got to be our first commitment. Your decisions as a couple should be guided by your commitment to serve God and love God first and foremost, to be a follower and imitator of Jesus Christ. When a husband and wife are truly committed to Jesus, they will have an enormous advantage over the couple with no spiritual dimension as we've already seen. Worse yet, though, is when you have a strong believer and a strong non-believer in the marriage, and that, that is a recipe for conflict. Uh, it's also a disregard for spiritual principles. The Old Testament, God commanded his people to marry within the family of faith. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he gives them this. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what, do fellowship, what fellowship can light have with darkness? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now, the principle really is directed at partnerships. Don't partner up with somebody. Don't start into a business with somebody who doesn't believe the founding principle of your faith like you do. But what greater partnership do we have to work on than that of a husband and wife, a marriage? So don't go into a marriage with somebody who, who has the complete opposite foundational principle, spiritually speaking, as you do, you're, you're going to have a real challenge. Now, that said, some of you have already married into that kind of a situation. I'm not saying that if that's your situation, your marriage is doomed to failure. I'm not saying that at all. I can give you several stories through the years of people who married non-believers who are now believers. Because the godly spouse in that relationship had such an impact upon the non-believer that they came along and said, I want what you have. So it is possible. I'm sure there are people in this room this morning who can say, that's how our marriage started. I wasn't a believer, but my spouse was so devout. I could see Christ in him or her, and it brought me to that relationship. By the same, same token, I can, I can give you stories of where a Christian married a non-Christian. It wasn't long before the Christian had just abandoned everything about their faith and slipped away into the casualness of this world. I'm just saying that what the Bible teaches us is if you want to get a really good start on a marriage, start with the most important foundational principles, and that is those issues of faith. Here's the second thing. Be committed to your spouse. Now, there's a, a, there's a beautiful passage, a lengthy passage in, first, or in Ephesians chapter 5 that talks about marriage. And I'm going to ask you to do a favor, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read this out loud. Will you please? All right, let's stand. Because I think it's good when we can read out loud God's word. It helps put it into our minds a little bit better. You ready? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You can go ahead and be seated.
Now, the beauty of this and the power, I think, of this passage is often reflected in some of our old wedding customs. Whenever you see a wedding, the bride stands to the groom's left. That was because most men are right-handed, and they would draw their sword from their left hip and defend their bride with their strong right hand. We wear wedding rings or what we call wedding bands. The idea was the fact that a ring or a band binds something together. You have this picture of harvesting wheat in a field and you make a wheat sheaf and you take a rope or you take some grasses and you tie it off in the center so that the sheaf will stand. It's binding it together. The Romans, the ancient Romans, believe the reason we wear the wedding ring on our fourth finger of our left hand goes back to Roman days where the Romans believed that there was a vein in the fourth finger of the left hand that went directly to the heart. Thus, the wedding band, that which binds us to one another, is to be worn where the vein goes right to the heart. Beautiful pictures, symbolic pictures of exactly what Paul is talking about here as he compares marriage to the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ. And he begins with this marvelous phrase. If, we, if you only remember one thing about this passage, remember how it begins. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a beautiful passage. Your commitment to your spouse is the best gift that you can give to your children. It's the best safeguard against a, a broken family. This is our commitment to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where it begins. And, and if husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church, wives would have no problem surrendering a certain amount of regard to him as the one who is her protector and provider, which is what this means. We don't like the word submit because somehow it takes away from us our own willingness. This is a voluntary relationship where love and respect and mutual submission in the reverence of Christ come together. And when we treat one another as Christ treated the church and as the church loves the Lord, it'll make our marriages strong. Such is the power of commitment. Such commitment isn't necessarily easy. It's just necessary. When Elsie's folks celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary a few years back, they were asked at different times about how they stayed together for six decades and raised six kids. And they both responded similarly. I didn't know we had a choice. <laughs> they said it with a twinkle, but it was said with the idea, we made a commitment when we stepped into this relationship and we would keep with it. I watched them love each other through ups and downs. I've watched my own parents love each other through the ups and downs of life because that's what commitment is all about. Maybe Maybe we have forgotten what we said when we got married. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish so long as we both shall live. That's commitment. You see, too many view marriage based on their own happiness quotient. 
What is this relationship doing for me? How happy am I in this relationship? Are my needs being met in this relationship? If we think in those terms, it's easy to conclude that we might be happier with somebody else. The problem is that when we move from one relationship to another, we pack up our own emotional baggage and we take it right into the next relationship. And chances are it is my emotional baggage that's messing up the relationship to begin with. So if you take that into in another relationship, until you work on that, that relationship is going to have all the same problems than the one you just left. This is where commitment comes in. We made a choice. We're going to get through this. We are committed to one another. It's not easy, but that's what we need to do. One wife said, every woman needs a husband because you can't blame everything on the government. <laughs> if you're always looking for someone to blame, don't get married. When you invest time and energy on yourself instead of your spouse, you will make your marriage last, dead last. And when that happens to your family, your family will not survive long either. Strive to stay focused on your spouse. Keep your focus on him or her. And if both of you are doing that, it'll make all the difference in the world. Joe lived across from the Williams, and uh, he could sit at his dinette table every morning and look out the window as he, get, as he was getting ready to go to work, and he could just, he could time the day by when Mr. Williams took Mrs. Williams to work. One morning, he was watching, and about 15 minutes after the car had pulled out in its normal routine, the car comes speeding down the street, skids into the driveway, into the garage. 30 seconds later, it backs back out and heads off down the street in the same way. Joe had never seen Mr. Williams drive that way, had never seen a scenario like that. And so after work that evening when he was out in his yard, Mr. Williams was across the street and he walked over and he said, I got to tell you, I was watching this morning out of the dinette window and he said, I've never seen that before. What? You're just as faithful as clockwork in taking your wife to work. What happened, Mr. Williams? Mr. Williams said, looking down at the ground. Well, Joe, this morning when I got Mrs. Williams to work, she wasn't in the car. <laughs> it's really important to stay focused on your spouse, all right? There are other ways to stay focused on your marriage, okay? Don't spend private time away from your spouse with members of the opposite sex. Don't do that. Have nothing to do with flirty rumors or sensuous gossip at work. Stay away from internet pornography. Avoid it like your computer has Ebola. Remember, pornography in any form is unfaithfulness. An affair with someone who is not your spouse is never justifiable. You may even want to believe that God has brought that person into your life, but God's leading never contradicts his word. And since adultery is always wrong, that affair is always unjustifiable. I'm not saying that's easy, but the rewards of a lasting relationship with your spouse are well worth the investment. Now, having said all that, I realize that we are fallible human beings, Sometimes for all of our efforts, we cannot keep our marriages together because your spouse simply doesn't want to make it work. We talked about that earlier. Sometimes it's out of your hands. Sometimes there are just too many unsolved problems to resolve to make it work again, and the marriage falls apart. When that happens, 
You need to do your best to help your family through the tough times ahead. You need to realize that you're not a failure. Things didn't work out like you wanted. You need to keep seeking God first. You need to keep doing your best. You need to remember you're not a second-class citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you need to be an active part of this family because we need to come around you and help encourage you because that's what family does. Remember, families are mostly sweet with a few nutty moments. And sometimes the nutty moments need us to come around you and help you get through. We've all made unwise choices, so let today be a new beginning, a fresh start. Be committed to God's relational wisdom this morning. This passage to Timothy from Paul is not usually associated with marriage, but it is really powerful. If, if you want two verses, let me... Let me, let me challenge you with this. If you're saying, I need an outline every day that I need to look at that will help me be the best husband or best wife I can be. All right. Here's the two verses that you can memorize. Underline them in your Bible. Commit these to memory because it's just a real simple outline. But if we do this, we'd be better husbands. We'd be better wives. Paul writes to Timothy, he said, command and teach these things. And don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. There it is. That's a real simple basic outline. Let me highlight it for you real quickly. Speech. This is not an occasional conversation. This is a daily conversation. And the word means to be encouraging, to be honest, to be controlled. Proverbs 16, 24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Communication is difficult in a marriage. Why? Because we all have different personalities. We all have different abilities. We all have different likes. Then you add in the emotional and mental differences between men and women. And it, it's no wonder that communication is challenging. Someone made this observation. Women spend more time wondering what men are thinking than men spend thinking. <laughs> That's all you need to know right there. That's why communication is hard. One husband was overheard to say, honey, what do you mean we don't communicate? Just yesterday, I texted you a reply to the recorded message you left on my cell phone in response to my email. And we're right back to the complications of all the electronic. Always find a way to keep the lines of communication open. Talk and listen and learn to listen more than you talk. And it'll go better. A couple who does not find time to communicate will ultimately find themselves no longer a couple. Proverbs 21, 19 says, better to live, <laughs> this is Solomon, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. So writes the man with 700 wives. <laughs> From a woman's perspective, I've been told that having a conversation with a man is like putting a saddle on a cow. It's a lot of trouble and work, and after you're done, you ask yourself the question, what's the point? Husbands and wives learn to talk and listen to one another. Life. This word would be better translated conduct or behavior. Actions that are consistent and non-hypocritical. Actions that reflect what Paul was writing in this Ephesian passage. That we treat one another as Christ treated the church and as the church loves Christ. That we would submit to one another. So check your actions, your behavior on a daily basis. Does it match? The actions of Jesus Christ. Love. Love God first. Love each other second. Faith. Trust God and let him lead even when you can't see where he's leading. And purity. Moral behavior. Virtuous. Innocent. Honorable. Uncorrupted. In the midst of the Roman culture that had permeated that world in that day and time. Where marriage had almost been 
destroyed. Paul writes to the church and says, you set an example of what it means to live pure lives to the world. So there it is. You want a good outline on how to be a good husband and wife? Just, just remember these verses. In speech, in behavior, in love, in faith, in purity. If you can work on that every day, if I can work on that every day, we'll do better and we'll keep it together. I read just this week about Margaret and Don Livingood, inseparable since the day they met, and after 59 years of marriage, they spent their last few days holding hands side by side in a single hospital room and died within hours of each other. Margaret had cancer. Don had pulmonary fibrosis and pneumonia. Margaret died at 8 a.m. on the morning of August the 15th of this year. Don passed away shortly after 5 p.m. Their daughter, Patty, recounted that her dad was alert until the very end, telling her how grateful he was that he and her mother could take this last journey together. And shortly before he died, Don said this, when we get to heaven, we can walk in together just like we're getting married again. Another honeymoon. Now we know that there is no marriage in heaven, but what a beautiful picture of marriage here that you end your life together, walk through the gates, home at last.